Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God, and we're going to talk about something that we've been talking about for about 20 shows, both on this station and other stations, um, and that is religion. And we, we've written an article, should be appearing on News of Views shortly, that is talking about what this word means. And one of the amazing things about language is that words can have multiple meanings. Almost every word in the dictionary, in an unabridged dictionary, will have several definitions. As these definitions change, our opinion of these words that represent ideas will change. Therefore, the ideas themselves will change. And I often find it interesting how words like idol and ideas are very similar words. They don't really have the same origin, but... Often, idolatry is very much caught up with the use of words. We construct ideas and concepts and precepts with words in our minds. And the changing of the definition of those words will allow us to change the way we look at things. And if someone else is regulating the definition of those words, especially when we go and read ancient documents we will be confused. And, of course, that's what Babylon is all about, is confusion. And Babylon and Babel and all these words that we see have a similar idea that they reference words and the meaning of words. And when I began this journey in earnest some 30-some-odd years ago, it began with a dictionary looking up a legal dictionary, looking up the meaning of words, and finding out that I did not understand how these words were being used. If if you're going to read a legal document, you need a legal dictionary because the words will mean something different in that legal dictionary. So if you're reading laws and regulations, I just heard a news story about the Miranda rights. And Miranda is a a Supreme Court case that said that you have a right to remain silent. You don't have to testify against yourself, etc. This is the conclusion, and and we get this where now policemen were reading you your Miranda rights, as if your rights came from somebody named Miranda. Uh, And in the course of the news story, they reference these rights as privileges. Well, the word privilege and the word rights are not the same. The Miranda privileges are civil privileges granted by a document. Rights to remain silent and not testify against yourself, that's a right. That doesn't come from a privilege. So these aren't the same things. But they're using these words interchangeably. You know, it's like this recent story of uh, Snowden, who uh, supposedly revealed that the government was committing crimes from his point of view in relationship to privacy and were 
you know, uh, accessing phone records uh, without search warrants, which would be considered a violation of certain rights. And, of course, that lawyer would refer to those as privileges. Privacy is a privilege. Evidently, there's two ideas of a transparent government. One is where you get to see what the government is doing, and the other one is... He get the government gets to see what you're doing, <laughs> and it's just a point of view. But the reality is, is that uh, the meaning of words will change position and thinking and and interpretation and philosophies and ideas and eschatologies. Because so, if you change the meaning of words, uh, you change your perspective. And you begin to understand things in a particular way. So we were talking about religion, and this is an almost an unending subject. Like I said, we've got over 20 hours now that we've discussed this. But we talked about the definition of religion. And religion used to be your how you performed your duty to your fellow man and to God. Yeah, now, your duty to fellow man was to love your fellow man according to God. And that would mean to take care of him in times of need if he had, uh, you know, if he's injured or got sick or, or somehow fell on desperate times of fire, famine, flood, whatever. You should help him out. You should be the FEMA of your society, the Faith Emergency Ministry Auxiliary. That's what we say. When we say FEMA, that's usually what we're talking about because we're not about force. And federal is about force. It's not about charity. It's the benefactors who exercise authority one over the other, but call themselves uh, these benefactors, but they're actually rulers. Uh, so anyway, this this is what religion used to be, but now it's become what you think, and what you think is highly regulated by the definition of words. And they've redefined these words to deceive you. You had to turn religion into what you think. Into, you know, I believe this. And that's my religion. When religion used to be what you did. Even in the Greek, the threskia, it means what you do. Rites and ceremonies were actually the way in which you did that. The way in which you fulfilled your and performed your duty to your fellow man and to God. That's what rites and ceremonies were. Now they're just blowing smoke and, and uh, you know, wearing vestments. And it's all whited sepulcher stuff. Just like it was in the days with the Pharisees. And yet they, they say this is religion. You know, they, if you say these words and you wave your hands and you get these emotional feelings, that God will be happy with you. And Jesus says... Better that you attend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. You know, is is Snowden uh, a traitor? They, they, they're just trying to charge him with treason. Or is he a hero? Well, this all depends on your point of view. And there's lots of Democrats and, uh, you know, I don't know if it's just Democrats, but it appears to be kind of dividing along... Democrat-Republican issues that he's a traitor and that he has done a treasonous thing by exposing what he believes was a crime. 
And so they're charging them. And, they, you know, they want to give them 10 years for each count, and I don't know how many counts there are. But it's just an example in our times that we can look at in order to decipher what is moral, what is righteous, what is tending to law, judgment, mercy, and faith. This is happening on your watch. What, who will come to his aid if he should have somebody come to his aid? You know, I don't know. I don't know the details of what he divulged, but it appears that he was trying to expose what he saw as a crime being committed by people working in government that should be arrested from his point of view as violating the law of the fact that you have a right specified in the Bill of Rights and Constitution. You have a right to privacy. And the government cannot just come into your house and and uh, break into your private communications. And, of course, they can redefine private communications. Well, in the course of this, these 20 hours discussing religion, we talked about pure religion, unspotted by the world, of course, is how you take care of the needy of your society, widows and orphans and who have you, unspotted by the world. And the word world there comes from five different Greek words, are translated in the Bible into the single English word world, sometimes. And the word they use there means, according to theirs, constitutional order system government. So, if we understand that to be true, that uh, it's uh, this... uh, world that we're not to let spot our pure religion is government. That sets pure religion in a whole different light. Unspotted by the world. What do you mean? Unspotted by the planet? Uh, you don't rub dirt on it? <laughs> well, no. It, it, it Unspotted by force. Because John the Baptist, until John the Baptist... People were establishing their governments of the world by force. And John the Baptist said, no, if you have two coats and your neighbor has none, share. Share your surplus with others. Even sacrifice, even fast from what you have. You know, do without a little bit so that you can give to others. This was what John the Baptist was preaching And John the Baptist was praised by Christ. And we see Christ doing the same. Though he was rich, he made himself poor, that he was giving away. And he warned that rich men will have a hard time getting into the kingdom. It'd be easier to get a camel to the eye of the needle. So anyway, pure religion is how you take care of your needy. Religion is what you do to fulfill your duty to your fellow man. All that is in in, in consistent thinking. It's not what you think or are told religion is today, if you look it up in the dictionary. So their impure religion is having your religion very much spotted by the world. In other words, how you take care of your needy is not totally by faith, hope, and charity, but is you're using the power and force of government. 
so that you, in your churches you'll have a form of godliness. You know, you'll have all this niceness and and love and and, and, and sweetness and, and raising your hands and feeling a certain way. But in reality, how you take care of the needy of your society, educate, welfare, uh, emergency uh, situations in society to help the needy, that's all done by the world, the constitutional order and systems of government. That's impure religion. That's spotted by the world. It's not spotted anymore. It's barely spotted by the church. It is almost completely done by governments. And the church does nothing. Actually, if you go to poor countries where the government provides very little benefits, like Santa Domingo, about 20% of the people don't get the number required to get government benefits. They don't send their kids to public schools. They don't get government benefits. But when they work for somebody, they get to keep all the money. Nothing is taken out. Because they're not members. That, that's in a poor country. And so those people who don't get that number, they have to take care of one another because they live up in the hills where there's there's little or no government services anyway. You see, and and that's what Christians were doing. And sometimes they had to move up to the hills. They had to leave town <laughs> because they were not welcomed by all those people who live by covetousness, who covet one another's goods and like to... Uh, pray to the benefactors who exercise authority one over the other. So anyway, that is the distinction between false religion and true religion. But in reality, both are religion. But one is false compared to what Christ was teaching. And it happens to be that most of the people claiming to be Christians today are deeply immersed in the religion this public religion of the government. And, of course, we've talked about public and private religion. And we'll, we'll touch on that again. But now we're going to talk about something different. We're going to talk about civil religion, which is really not something different at all. Civil religion is a term that shows up a number of times throughout history and is referenced a number of times throughout history. Civil religion. Remember, civil law, Roman law, and Roman civil law are the same systems of jurisprudence. That's a maxim of law found in Black's Law Dictionary. Civil religion. This is why Christians were persecuted. Is because they outlawed all religion except for civil religion. That's happening in America today. I mean, your health care. You, you don't, you're not going to be allowed to go to church for your health care. You have to go to the civil government for health care. used to be you only went to church for health care. If you couldn't provide it yourself and you needed help, you would go to church. But now you go to the government. Well, you've been doing that right along. used to be, who, where did you go to expand your education beyond the capacity of your parents? You used to go to church. They, they were the ones copying all the books. They were the ones that, I mean, you had monks uh, measuring the circumference of the earth in 400 A.D. You know, Irish monks at that. <laughs> so, uh, the reality was that's where you went. You went to church. Uh, the church took care of all the social welfare. 
And that's why we have Lady Godiva on the cover of our free church report. So if you want to see that cover, you have to go find the book. It's on our website. And you can find the book easy. Free church report. But you have to seek it. Anyway, role of religion in society. So what is religion? Religion is how you take care of the needy of your society and fulfill your duty to your fellow men. And not only the needy, but we think of the needy as the poor. But what happens if somebody's receiving injustice? You say they're going to be arrested for treason and they didn't commit treason. They actually exposed a crime. Which I don't know if that's what Snowden did, but say that's what he did. You know, I, I'm not the jury. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen, I, I've seen what the media says, but I, I don't know necessarily. But it appears from one point of view that that's what he did. He exposed a crime. And the people they should be arresting is the criminals who were delving into private communications. What people believed were private communications without search warrants. That would be a crime. They, they should be arrested. They should be going to jail for 10 years. But instead, Snowden, who exposed the crime for no personal gain of his own, actually at a great expense. There's somebody else who, I, I don't remember his name, Bradley or whatever it is, uh, revealed thousands of documents uh, to WikiLeaks or however that works. I haven't seen the documents. I don't know his guilt or innocence, but he did this because he believed that there was criminal activity in government. Now, he may be deluded, and maybe he should be arrested. Maybe he shouldn't be. But if he was really exposing a crime, then he should be given extra protection and allowed, you know, I mean, this isn't this what the whole thing was in World War II when... Uh, People were supposedly executing thousands and thousands of Germans and Poles and what have you. And they said, well, we're just following orders. But the orders were criminal. They were a violation of human, natural, God-given rights. And so, therefore, those soldiers should be held accountable because they did not refuse to obey unlawful orders. But evidently, some people think that it's okay to snoop without a search warrant. They don't think the Fifth Amendment applies. And actually, to some degree, if you understand how the Constitution works and what freedom is really all about, they have a case. (laughs) They don't want to tell you that because then you might discover that you're not a free people anymore. And that you don't have any rights and you only have privileges because you've waived all your rights so that you could get the civil religion of society. The civil benefits of society. You see, that's what's happened. That's how they have made you a snare. Is your civil religion is your civil welfare. It is a welfare that is based upon force. Let's all have one purse. Way back in Proverbs, they talk about that. You look that up, one purse. It talks about it being a snare. And that, you know, even the bird, the net is spread before the bird, but he's still caught anyway. You sat and ate with rulers. And you wanted his dainties, even though it was at the expense of your neighbor. And you you, you delighted in it. 
You you aren't free. That's why you're not free. It isn't because you didn't get the vote. It isn't because you weren't politically active. It wasn't because you weren't a good Republican or Democrat or constitutionalist or whatever. There's no solution there. Governments won't change till men change. And the only man you have a right to change is you. You have to change your religion. <laughs> you become a civil religionist. Anyway, role of religion in society, take care of the needy. But instead, we have this idolatry of the mind. And it's part of that civil religion. That we create these institutions and we bow down and worship them. Because they think, we think it's to our benefit. There's a transference of things spiritual to things that are physical. That's idolatry. Treasure of... Uh, uh, do we have a treasury of faith or a treasury of gold and silver? Well, we don't even have the gold and silver. We have a treasury of an imagination because we live in a debt-ridden society where there is nothing of substance in the treasury but you and your right to work and your right to live and your right to have children, you have become human resources. You have become merchandise. And why? Because you have not tended to the weightier matters. You have been slothful. And the slothful should be under tribute, according to the Bible. See, the Bible is all about government. And so there's a repetition of lies that are told to you over and over and over again in hopes that you will eventually believe them. And it worked. You've been believing them. And so now there needs to be a repetition of truth. And so that's what we've been doing for the last 20 shows is a repetition of truth. If you go back to Marcus Aurelius, who was a Stoic president of the empire, uh, Ledwood historians uh, have often called the golden age of Rome. He says the only wealth which you will keep forever is the wealth you have given away. That's Marcus Aurelius. You know, when I read the meditations of Marcus Aurelius, it sounded like an Episcopalian priest. <laughs> Which uh, kind of worries you, because Marcus Aurelius has the worst human rights record for persecuting Christians. <laughs> Why would he sound like an Episcopalian? <laughs> it, it's amazing. You know... Jesus talks about treasure in the kingdom. You know, store up for yourself treasure in the kingdom. You know, that, that's a concept. I mean, that's almost like what Marcus is saying there. It's what you give away to charity. He, he advocated charity amongst the Roman Empire, but yet still had the giveaway programs of free bread and welfare. And, and Antonius Pius, who was his predecessor, was very much the same way. Uh, Marcus was his successor. And Marcus studied under Antonius Pius. Antonius explained that virtues and the polity of Christians as a self-governing people. It was explained to him prior to that by the apologist Justin the Martyr who had written Antonius and explained to him how Christianity worked. It says, we don't, basically he was saying, we don't use your welfare, your civil religion, your temples, which were civil, the temples were supported by tax dollars. Your free bread would come from the temple of Ceres. 
That's where it was distributed. That, that's your welfare office. Temple of Saturn, that was your Bureau of Vital Statistics. That's where you registered your birth certificate. You gotta remember, these, these temple, temple just means building, plan construction. It was how you set the building up that made it a temple. But these are government buildings. Yeah, they had, they had symbols out front. Your buildings have symbols out front. You see, so that, that was their civil religion. And we're going to talk more about their civil religion and our civil religion when we come back. And then we're going to ask you, what religion do you think will set you free? And what religion will bring you into bondage? Be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, we're talking about civil religion. Now and then. Celus was a Platonist. He was a philosopher. And he lived uh, during the period of time of Marcus Aurelius, who was just adamant about officially persecuting Christians. What was the problem? Uh, Celus opposed the sectarian tendencies at work in the Christian movement because he saw in Christianity a privatizing of religion, the transfer of religious values from the public sphere to a private association. Now, of course, this is, this is a, somewhat of a translation in ideas here. So this idea of sectarian tendency, it was a divisionary tendency. They were dividing the activities, the movement, the, the way that Christians were living, privatizing their religion, the transfer of religious values from public sphere to the private association. This was the division that brought persecution. Well, if you don't know that religion is how you fulfill your duty to your fellow man, you don't understand what he's talking about. If you still think religion has something to do with what you think in your head, you know, what you believe about a superhuman creator, which is the way it was defined today in the dictionary, in, you know, uh, 2013 dictionary, modern dictionary then you don't understand what Celsus is talking about. And, or why Marcus Aurelius persecuted Christians. Because they could believe anything they want. Religious freedom was guaranteed under the original Roman Constitution. But the people weren't under the original Roman Constitution anymore. They were under the Patronus of the Emperor. What does Patronus mean? It means... Our Father, who art in Rome, hallowed be thy name. That's what it means. Because they were praying to their Father in Rome. How did they know that this was their Father in Rome? Their birth certificate was registered down at the Temple of Saturn. And with that, they could get benefits. They could get a karagma that would prove that they were entitled to benefits so that when they went to get the free bread 
they could get the free bread. They could be let into the Colosseum to see the free entertainment. Because they had a karagma, a mark, a identifier. They also called it a titleist. It was state ID. And that made you eligible for the benefits. Now, more and more things became associated with those benefits. But what was coming about eventually with uh, Vigilius uh, Saturninus, Proconsul of Africa in 180 CE, is that they outlawed any religion except the civil religion of Rome. All foreign religions, all sectarian religions, all religions that have been privatized. In other words, they were now coming together and sharing with those in their own midst. This is what Justin wrote. He said that those that had shared with those that didn't have enough. This is how we took care of our social welfare. Why is he telling Antonius Pius this? Because Christians took care of their needy with faith, hope, and charity. Christians today don't do that. They wave their hands in church. They think that their uh, music and emotional uh, gyrations in their church their vain babbling in their church is somehow church service. They think that's worshiping God. They think it is. But it's not religion. It's not pure religion. They are practicing impure religion. Their Corbin, their sacrifices, make the word of God to none effect. And that's another subject. Now, many of you know what I'm talking about. Who have listened and listened and listened. And I'm repeating this. I'm going over these things from a different point of view. You see, Augustus, the first emperor, and I'm quoting here, uh, just so that you know where I'm quoting from, chapter 3 of the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, Augustus was sensible that mankind is governed by names, nor was he deceived in his expectation that the Senate and people would not submit to slavery provided, excuse me, would submit to slavery. I read that wrong. That they, uh, the Senate and the people would submit to slavery provided they were respectfully assured that they still enjoyed their ancient freedoms. That's why you can have fireworks on the 4th of July. So that you will believe that you're still free. But you're not. You're not free. You're in bondage. You're a human resource. You're merchandise. And you're a registered piece of merchandise. And you already have the mark of the beast. And, and remember the mark of God was the top. Well, it was to be put in your forehead. Before the destruction came, in, when they reference in the Old Testament, go around and put that mark of God in people. That was the Tav. Tav means faith. You don't have faith. You have faith in what you believe in your head, the ideas that you have in your head, but that's idolatry. You don't have faith in God. Because if you had faith in God, you would trust in Him 
and not in the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. You would not be praying to them. Yeah, you sacrificed to them, you paid in, but they've already spent all that. That's already gone. If you want any benefits from them, they have to take it away from your children and your grandchildren. So in order for you to get benefits, you must curse your children. This is where you're at. I'm sorry to tell you. You are in bondage. You have returned to the mire. You have returned to your vomit. And you are now workers of iniquity. But you go to church and you sing and you babble and you and you wave your hands. My gosh, you are so far from the kingdom. Ephesians 5.5 5, For this ye know that no whoremongers, no, nor unclean persons, nor covetous men who is an idolater in other words worshipping at these other systems created by men idols are what you make with your hands these systems are made with their hands these temples are made with their hands these depositories are made with hands and you worship them you covet what has been put into them, not by faith, hope, and charity, but by force, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. You have no inheritance there if you desire benefits at the expense of your neighbor. And that includes public school, health care, fire departments, anything. When the representatives believe that they be the power of the government apparatus unpunished can plunder certain citizen groups on their incomes and property. They are fatally mistaken. In ancient Rome, social welfare support was introduced by Gaius Gracchus. I'm reading from an article here. In 158 to 122 B.C. on a large scale. So Gaius Gracchus was the guy who was instituting this welfare of the state to take care of the needy of their society through the state, civil religion. All citizens of Rome were entitled to buy a monthly ration of grain at fixed prices, food stamps. The subsidized staple food of Rome became immediately the weapon of choice for the rulers to stay in high favor with the crowd and to maintain control over the political power. Food stamps. Welfare. Cheap grain was uh, initially sold without any means test to every individual willing to queue up. Now, this is to every individual that would, and he says in the article, queue up. But this means registered. And they had to know you were registered. And if you needed it, you'd go get it. And they they trusted that only people who really needed it would go get it. But Because there was no means test. From the beginning, there was about 50,000 people used this benefit in Rome itself. The free food policy evolved gradually over a long period of time. Since the inception of the system, the number of people living on public social assistance increased and a few rulers in power dared to put an end to it. The first ruler to make an attempt was the great commander Lucius Cornelius Sulla. 
but it was this was about 78 BC is when he died so it's sometime between about 138 and 78 BC but it was stopped by severe social riots forcing him to retreat then no less than 200,000 Roman citizens received the public social assistance and did stand up in defense of their right to cheap basic food their right their privilege at the time of Julius uh, Caesar, seizure of power in 49 B.C., the number of people living on social welfare assistance had increased to a staggering 320,000. And this is one of the reasons why he had to take power is because uh, there was only about a million people. This is like 32% of the people were on government subsistence. And it was breaking the bank. Publius Clodius uh, Pulcher abolished the charge in 58 B.C., began distributing the grain for free. So they actually were just giving the grain away. There was no charge whatsoever. The result was a sharp increase in the influx of rural poor into Rome. It was bringing the poor and huddled masses into Rome to get on welfare. And we talked about this in one of the last shows, how... Uh, other nations around about us are sending their their poor to us and they're getting on welfare so that 50% of the immigrants from numerous countries, 50% come here to get on welfare. And this, of course, takes some of the burden off of the uh, those countries. Though, uh, squeezed down, uh, but he, uh, Caesar, uh, managed later to introduce a means test that squeezed down the social welfare population to about 150,000. That's about 15%. After his death, followed several weak rulers, causing the number to again reach 320,000. Again, about 32%. A number that Gaius Julius Caesar Augustus from 31 BC by a new means test managed to squeeze down to 200,000. <laughs> so you see, there was this constant battle are trying to keep that number down. Uh, uh, Trajan, which is about uh, 100 A.D., uh, formalization of what they call the Elementa, Elementa, which was a trust, uh, the grain dole was distributed from the temple Ceres. Uh, this welfare program had helped orphans and poor children this was called Elementa. Hey, did you go to Elementa school? <laughs> That's where you get the word elementary. Elementary school. Elementa. And then, see, now when we come up to Septimus Service, uh, free oil was distributed. Subsequently, emperors added on occasion free pork and wine. Uh, a milestone in the evolution was made in 274 with the emperor Lucius uh, Domitius Aurelianus uh, commonly known as Aurelian uh, he made social welfare hereditary but also boasted welfare benefits considerably by providing baked bread instead of corn supplements by pork, olive oil and salt so anyway, he was actually giving you the actual free bread, not just grain. You didn't even have to cook it anymore. And it was free. 
and you could get pork and oil and salt with that. And it was hereditary right. And of course, that's why, you know, this is in 275, but they had already made uh, birth certificates mandatory under Marcus Aurelius, which were, again, registered in the temple. So your Bureau of Vital Statistics is the temple at which you really worship. And, and that's where you practice your civil religion, you see. The Romans did not only demand cheap basic food, but also subsidized the culture. The emperors assumed the responsibility of providing the citizens with publicity, funded entertainment, arts program. Uh, do you ever hear of the, uh, the arts program in your civil religion, your government? One historian estimates that the modern equivalent of $100 million a year was poured out in the circus gladiator duels alone. But that wasn't the only thing that they did. So anyway, that gives you a, a, a picture of their civil religion. But it doesn't start there. It starts with patriotism. And I say it that way. So that you understand, patri is the Latin word for father. When you start making the state your father. When you start worshipping the state. You began the road to civil religion. And I have a note in here that uh, it was, I guess it's Mark Barkley, who is a televangelist uh, in Midland, Michigan, goes around and preaches all over the country. He's referred to as the preacher of righteousness. I don't know who named him that. But he needs to repaint his jet, and it's going to cost $79,000 to repaint his private jet. And so he's asking for donations so that you will do that. <laughs> so anyway... <laughs> Just in case you want to donate to that. But anyway, uh, that was just a footnote that I had in there. We're going to start a series on Mark, which is not Mark Barkley, but Mark, the gospel writer. And I hope that uh, yeah, you guys will stay tuned to that. When we look at Article 6 of the Constitution of the United States, which some refer to as the supreme law of the land, it certainly is for government, we see that uh, uh, the, uh, in Clause 1, all debts contracted and engagements entered into before the adoption of the Constitution shall be as valid against the United States under the Constitution as under the Confederation. So, anyway, we're seeing this perpetuity of debt. Now, a lot of people are under the idea that they can just throw off any government that they're under. And they can just denounce it, and then they can go off and be free of it. That's not true. That's not what Christ said. Christ said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God. Now, you owe Caesar quite a bit, because you've been asking and praying to Caesar for quite some time. You were probably educated in public schools which your parents didn't pay enough taxes to pay for. So therefore, you forced your neighbor to pay them, and you got the government to do that, to take away from your neighbor. And this is why you go back in Proverbs, you go back to Abraham, you go back to Moses. They warn you that you will be brought into bondage with this type of Corbin, this type of social welfare, this type of civil religion. 
where you force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, to your faith, your FEMA, instead of going to church for your FEMA, which would be your faith emergency ministry auxiliary. You see, from the beginning, we see him telling you to appoint seven, you know, choose seven, look out amongst yourself, pick seven men you trust. Well, that's just from the Old Testament. They were managing a particular part of your private religion. But you see, you've been in civil religion. You know, I, I know that what I'm saying is just absolutely overthrowing what you have believed was religion all this time. Section 1 in that document assured public creditors that the United States' new government would honor past debts. Hamilton put the debt of the Union at $11 million, $11.7 million, owing in foreign countries. And $42 million of domestic debt, that's owing within the country itself. The states themselves owed $25 million, making the debt in an aggregate of about $79 million. And actually, I, I uh, well, I won't go into that, but anyway... This debt binds you. Are you ready to pay that debt? Now, I, I'm not going to go into all the details. People who want to expatriate. I had somebody call me the other day and wanted to know about expatriating. Well, expatriating to who? <laughs> expatriating. I mean, leaving your father, the state. Now, we, we have an article up and a booklet, and we cover it in one of the books. Call no man father upon the earth. And I may start a, a, a series, What About Bob? Uh, that will be addressing a lot of religious ideologies that have come down that have been taking you away from the kingdom by twisting the words of Paul in the, in the Gospels. And, and we may continue with that series from time to time, what the What About Bob series. Because uh, Bob is, you know, Bob the common, it's like Joe, you know. The common Joe, the common Bob, is leading you away from Christ, using the Bible to do it. But anyway, American civil religion is a sociological theory that there exists a kind of religion of the United States. A non-sectarian faith. You remember now the Christians were being persecuted because of the sectarian nature of privatizing religion. But anyway, they're saying here non-sectarian faith with sacred symbols drawn from national history. Scholars have portrayed it as a cohesive force, a common sect of values that foster a social and cultural integration. Now at the beginning of the show we talked about... Uh, items in the news such as Snowden where you have one group of people saying that he's a hero and another group of people saying that he is a treasonous criminal and they're both working in government I'm afraid your government is now sectarian you got you got groups that are dividing because they don't have the same cohesive faith and belief and values. They have different values. 
They don't have a common set of values that foster social and cultural integration. They don't believe in that. That There's a war going on in your kingdom between these values. And I'm, I, I can't, I'm not, only a fool steps between two fools fighting. So I'm not interested in, in solving their dispute. I'm interested in promoting the values of Christ. And you figure it out. You figure out what is the real answer. Because I'm apolitical. I'm not interested in their government. I'm not interested in overthrowing the United States or regulating citizens of the United States or telling them what to do. I'm interested in preaching Christ and His religion. But I want you to understand that you're a member of a civil religion in more ways than you were a hundred years ago. You have gone into bondage because you have applied and registered and been baptized, immersed in a way of thinking. And your churches have been instrumental in doing this because they have not preached Christ. They say they preach Christ. They take His name in vain because they are not actually saying what He said. They are not actually doing what He said to do. They are not doers of the Word. They are hearers only. They are whited sepulchers that carry with them the curse of the Pharisees. And they are putting it upon you. Because they are up there speaking in tongues and barking like dogs in the manger. And they will not let you enter into the kingdom. They will not let you eat of the fruit of Christ. And they are not bearing fruit. It's just why the whole nation has gone into bondage. In our next show, we're going to talk more about the civil religion so that you begin to understand where the kingdom of God is so you can turn around and head that way. Till then, may peace be unto you and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www dot his holy church dot net Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory and we're talking about the Kingdom of God in relationship to civil religion today. And 
the last show was kind of a synopsis of our whole series on religion and brought us into the introduction of civil religion. And, of course, we had previously talked about Jezebel that they mention in the New Testament. Uh, Jezebel at one time was the wife, wife of Ahab, an impious and cruel queen who protected idolatry and persecuted the prophets. Now, when we say idolatry, you think of somebody erecting the statue and people bowing down to it like the old golden calf of uh, at the time of Moses. And, you know, you see the movie with Cecil B. the Mills and they got this golden calf and uh, cute little... Uh, Dancers are dancing around in, uh, in uh, scanty outfits for the camera and pretending to worship this golden calf and all this stuff. And uh, that's great for Hollywood, maybe, but that has nothing to do with reality. The golden calf was a central bank. It was the reserve fund of that central bank. And all city-states had them. And if you study Greek history and just history in general, in depth. And I'm not talking about what you got in your public schools. I'm talking about really in-depth study of history. You will know that these statues were referred to as the reserve fund, and they actually even sawed off limbs from time to time and, and made coins to help them get through wars. Now, they had a treasury where they kept coins and paid the day-to-day -day expenses of government, but they had this reserve fund that was for your social welfare, and there was a, a reason for it. There they are out in the desert, Amalek's, Malachites all around. They can't go to the Egyptian outposts that were out there in the Sinai at the time and say, help us, protect us, because they are outside of that jurisdiction. They, they are no longer paying into that system, and they can't ask for protection. They now have rights, not privileges, so they can't go and say, can you protect my privileges? They actually have to protect their rights. They have to take back the responsibility of protecting their rights and their neighbors' rights. And the danger of Amalek's Amalekites coming over the hill in large numbers with sharp things might scare people to grab their gold and silver and run off and start again somewhere else. And that, of course, would diminish your numbers and you would be overrun and destroyed. And so what they do is they take their wealth, their gold, which is the most portable means of wealth. And they pound it out and they make this golden calf. They put it on there. They can, you can actually make gold leaf and then you pound it onto that calf until it just gets bigger and bigger. But if you leave in the face of battle, that you have to leave your gold behind. You can carry some silver with you, but and, but if you have any script amongst you, it's, it's worthless anywhere else. It's only valuable there in that city-state. And so they demand your loyalty by putting your wealth together. That's the common purse. Now, in those days, they, they put that gold into a, a cow or a calf or a statue of a man or whatever it was that they did in whatever city-state they were in. Because you could see, wait a minute. His arm's missing. Where's his arm? <laughs> Somebody sawed off one of the horns last night. Who's got the horn? They could tell it was being robbed. Now, we're not that smart anymore. We put it in vaults and we never even audited it. So we don't even know if there's any gold in the <laughs> 
But we've done basically the same thing. Moses said you were to keep your wealth in your pocket. We didn't do that. This just shows you how far away from these principles of good government expressed in the Bible that you have gone away from. But that's not really our subject. The point is, that's what those idols were. They were statues, symbols, flags that represented institutions. And you were not to make covenants with them, nor bow down, nor serve them, according to the ten, ten entoles, the Ten Commandments. And Jezebel said, no, that's okay. You can do it. it Jezebel is the symbolic name of a woman who pretended to be a prophetess and who addicted the people to eating things sacrificed to idols. You see, and that's what was happening in Rome with their civil religion. They were addicted to the welfare. And at the height, they were talking like 32% of their citizenry were on this welfare. 32%. You got more than that, don't you? (laughs) American civil religion is a sociological theory, as I said, uh, that there exists a kind of religion in the United States. And Robert Bella was a sociologist who wrote about this in the 19th century. According to Bella... Uh, Americans embrace a common civil religion with certain fundamental beliefs, values, holidays, rituals, parallel to or independent of their chosen idea religion. And I call it idea religion because some people think religion is how you take... uh, Some people think the religion is what you think. It's your ideas, your eschatology. You know, do you believe in the virgin birth and the trinity and and all these ideas? You know, do you accept Jesus as your personal savior? You can say that, and I've actually seen preachers say, that if you say this to a five-year-old, uh, that you will be saved. And so then mark this day on the calendar because you said it. That's magic. It's magic words. It has nothing to do with what Christ talked about. But they have real nice guys out there saying that that's the case. It's not true. But anyway, presidents have often served in central roles of in this civil religion. And uh, the nation provides a semi-religious honors to its mar- martyrs. You know, such as Lincoln or or Nathan Hale or whatever. These are the martyrs who died for this belief. You see, that's those are the ideas that we normally associate with religion. But, uh, actually, I was referring to uh, Robert Bell, and I think I said 19th century, but he actually wrote an article, Civil Religion in America, in 1967. But back in the 19th century, is this concept of civil religion was already in existence. Actually, you can go back even farther than that. Um, Emil uh, Durkheim, in 1858 to 1917, uh, so that was in the 19th century, uh, was talking about civil religion and how it uh, 
how it acts upon the life of the individual. Uh, but also, if we go back even farther, the French philosopher uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau talks about civil religion in one context. And he even talks about the Christian Republic. But he denounces the idea that there was a Christian Republic, even though it, during the same period of time we see uh, Edward Gibbons, who wrote The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, refers to the Christian Republic. The problem here, again, in these two different opinions is probably directly connected uh, not only to the spiritual attitude of the individual, but really, again, the definition of the word republic, which is another word they fooled with and we've talked about many times. A pure republic means you are not subject to the administration of government. You have rights, not privileges. And that your government representatives who lead you in representation are titular. They don't have the power to make law. They are not lawmakers in a pure republic. You have to get into a democracy in order for your representatives to make laws. And then that's an indirect democracy. But anyway, we may be getting off our subject. Uh, The premier sociologist Seymour uh, Lipset back in 1963 referred to Americanism and the American creed to characterize a distinct set of values that Americans hold. Well, most people don't know that there is an American creed, and of course because there is civil religion and America is a form of belief and trust, that it does have a religious nature to it. And so therefore it does have an American creed. It says, I believe in the United States, a democracy within the republic. And I always thought that was important to understand is that, and especially during this period when they were uh, ratifying this in Congress, this creed in Congress, is that the United States is a democracy within a republic. And originally all the states were individual republics and were as foreign to each other as Mexico is to Canada. Even after the acceptance of the Constitution of the United States. So, if they were as foreign to each other, what's the United States? You weren't citizens of the United States, you were citizens of the individual states. But now you're a citizen of the United States and you're a residence in the individual states, which we cover in in citizen versus citizen. And the reason we cover this is not because we're political and interested in changing the nature of your government. We're interested in changing the nature and direction of your heart to align it with Christ. And this will change the way in which you relate to government. But it will not, you know, if you owe Caesar, you will still pay Caesar. But you will begin to turn around and go another way. This is what I was, I was talking to somebody from England just yesterday and I said, it's all about direction. Either you're looking to the government to solve all your problems and becoming a burden to the government and to your neighbor because you're making your neighbor pay for your education, your health care, etc., etc. Or you're looking to God, the Father, and hoping that your neighbor will be there for you in faith, hope, and charity. Otherwise, you're either moving towards bondage or you're moving towards liberty under God. 
no matter which way you're going, if you owe Caesar, you must pay Caesar. And this is what Jesus was saying. But if you want to owe God what you used to owe Caesar, then you have to turn around and go back the way you came. And the way you came, the church was the social welfare of your society. Because the church operated by faith, hope, and charity, which is going to promote liberty, while the state operates by force, fear, and violence, which is not going to promote liberty, but promote bondage. So it's about direction. Which way are you going? Are you looking to public schools? Or are you looking to homeschool? Are you looking to public welfare? Are you looking to public health? Are you looking to the Federal Emergency Management Agency? Or are you looking to the Faith Emergency Ministry Auxiliary? And I'm giving you these words to make that analogy in your mind. The American Revolution was a main source of civil religion. The United States Constitution, which came much later than the American Revolution, and the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights, which of course came after the United States Constitution, as being cornerstones in a type of civic or civil religion. We venerate these documents as if they're the source of our freedom. When the documents themselves talk about us being endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. I got a call last night, 10.30, from a young boy in California who was given an assignment to write about the Bible and religion. And I don't know where that teacher's taken it, but I sent him my article on uh, that word you use, which is coming out on News of Views, um, which will be two or three parts to it and will be in association with these recordings. But I was interested that the public school had him looking this up. And he said that he's an atheist because he believes more in science. Nothing is more scientific than the Bible once you understand how to read it. Most of you don't understand how to read it, which is why most of you are in bondage and most of you belong to the civil religion of the world and are not just in the world but are of the world and pray to the fathers of the earth to obtain your benefits. Anyway, in in the one article that talks about American Revolution was this source of civil religion. It produced uh, a Moses-like leader in George Washington, a prophet like Thomas Jefferson and Thomas Paine, and although the article doesn't mention it, but Patrick Henry, uh, apostles uh, like John Adams and Benjamin Franklin, and martyrs like Boston Massacre and Nathan Hale, as well as they had their devils, their Benedict Arnolds, and their sacred places such as Valley Forge. And we did the same thing in the Civil War as well. And, of course, we ended up with our symbols, you know, our eagle and our flag and our sacred holidays, like July 4th, and our Holy Scripture, like the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. It's it's There's a transference that begins to take place. And I, I have nothing... I think those documents are all interesting, but... Even the Bible, which, as we know the Bible today, did not even exist until Eusebius put it together and was paid to put it together by Constantine. I mean, all the books existed before that in one form or another, as well as a lot of other books. But 
And I still consider the Bible a gift, just as I would consider the Declaration of Independence a gift. And I also consider the Constitution of the United States a reward as well. But punishment is reward for the wicked. <laughs> See, <laughs> we even have our heretics in the civil religions of of the United States uh, who refuse, refuse to perform sacred ceremonies the rites and rituals, like the Pledge of Allegiance and saluting the flag and treating Sunday as special. And this, of course, is like Seventh-day Adventists and, and Jehovah Witnesses who won't do the military service in the same way everybody else does. These are heretics. So you have this transference, this, this almost uh, uh, similitude of what we think Christianity is all about. But if you break all that away and you get back to actually what Christ said, that you were to love your neighbor as yourself, all the laws of his religion are based upon that. And it is not love to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. It is only love to contribute to the welfare of your neighbor in faith, hope, and charity. There was kind of an American-Israel theme is clearly behind uh, both Kennedy's New Frontier and Johnson's Great Society, according to this Robert Bella, who wrote of the civil religion in America. Uh, Bella quoted John F. Kennedy's uh, inaugural address back in January 20th, uh, 1961, and uh, he gives some clues in there. The address begins, We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom, symbolizing an end as well as a beginning, signifying renewal as well as change. He said they were promising you change even back then. For I have sworn before you and Almighty God the same solemn oath our forefathers prescribed nearly a century and three quarters ago. The world is very different now. <laughs> the world is actually very much the same as well. I mean, there are differences, but there are similitudes. And if you read our Rome versus us, you'll see how much that similitude has taken place. We keep doing the same things over and over again because we don't really understand history. We understand labels. You have to think beyond the words themselves and understand the concepts. For man holds in his moral hands the power to abolish all forms of human poverty. I don't know how you would do that, because Christ said, the poor you will have with you always. And to abolish all forms of human life. Actually, they don't really have that power, but they certainly can put a dent in it. Yet the same revolutionary beliefs of which our forefathers, this is Kennedy still, forebearers, fought are still at issue around the globe the belief that the rights of man come not from the generosity of the state but from the hand of God which takes us back to a news story we heard earlier about this Miranda privileges as opposed to rights you are in doubt by your recreator the state with certain very alienable privileges. And you that is because the state has become your father. 
and it offers you the religion of your father which says that it is okay to take from your neighbor for your personal benefit for your personal welfare this is the civil religion of America which is in opposition to the religion of Christ the pure religion of Christ and you're seeing laws coming down not only in America but in every other country I just use America as an example because I happen to live in America but we could do the same in Australia or New Zealand or anywhere because we're talking about precepts and principles. We're not. We're talking about the revolution of the heart. That if you you will not be protected by God until you t- return to God the Father and start practicing a religion based on faith, hope, and charity instead of the religion, the civil religion you are now practicing based on force, fear, and violence. How can God hear your prayers as long as you keep praying to the gods of the world? He quotes this phrase, civil religion is, of course, Rousseau's. He refers to Rousseau's in chapter 8, the book 4, of his social contract. And we've talked a great deal about social contracts and compacts. Contracts, compacts, and constitution. Covenants, contracts, and constitution. We could put the word compact in there too, but that may be a little overdoing it. He outlines the simple dogma of the civil religion. The existence of God. The life to come. The reward of virtue. The punishment of vice. And the exclusion of religious intolerance. All other religious opinions are outside the cognizance of the state and may be freely held by citizens. But, of course, he's talking about religion as as ideas to some degree, although he does talk about punishment of vice. But the reality is religion is how you take care of the needy of your society, how you fulfill your duty to your fellow man and to God, which is to love your fellow man. So, anyway, this Rome also had this civil religion whose Emperor Augustus uh, officially attempted to revive the dutiful practices of classical paganism. What was the dutiful practices? Was it take care of the needy? Their pagan religions were very much organized along the idea of loyalty to the local community. And you see it in the Teutons and in early Rome where they had the hearths of the their congregations of ten families gathering together, not only caring about themselves and their group of ten, but the next group of ten, and the next group of ten, and the next group of ten. And this, of course, is how the early church was organized. But it was based on individual choice, not central authority. The Emperor Augustus officially attempted to revive that dutiful practice from the top down and began to support their pagan temples with tax dollars. And those pagan temples, you know, if you were a part of a group of ten, you needed to know that group. And then if you picked a connecting point, a minister, a servant, a deacon, whatever you wanted to call him, and he was called many things, Dechen, throughout history, he needed to connect himself with nine other men like himself so that those ten groups of ten were connected. This is a form of government. This is what the early church was doing. 
for a thousand years this is what it did but Emperor Augustus wanted to connect them but from the top down not from the bottom up and, and I've repeated this many times but they talk about this culcating an ideal of Roman piety and of course we've talked earlier about piety being your duty that's what piety means duty first to your father and then if he's connected with nine other fathers like himself then you have a duty to them to love them as much as you love your own father and therefore to love their family and their children as much so if that father is killed you take care of that family and they go on record so that they know which families they must take care of. So that they don't look overlook anybody. Buddy system times ten. You got your moving buddy. You got your walk in the way buddy. Walk in the way of Christ buddy. That's your congregation. It's just a free assembly. But you know who you are. You go on record saying that's who I'm going to watch out for. And that minister is connected with nine other ministers like himself. And he's going to watch to their needs and if they say they have a special need in their congregation that they cannot meet he's going to know that minister enough to be able to take that message to his ten families and say they have an extra need there we need to help them out and instead of having your wealth in a golden cap you have it in your pocket and you get to decide how it's going to be done but you create invisible bonds in the kingdom of love for one another And that's what keeps you together when the Amalekites and the Malachites and the tornadoes and the hurricanes and the floods and the famines come. Because you have a loyalty of love, not a loyalty of oaths. Above all else, stop the takings of oaths. That's what James said, the same guy who said pure religion, unspotted by the world, is how you take care of your needy. Not by force, but by love. You're either moving in that direction of society or you're moving in the other direction. And this is what repentance is all about. Which direction do you want to go? This is what will set you free. If you make that choice, and you need to make it today and gather together with others to make that choice. And that is the choice of righteousness. The choice of not civil religion, but private religion. And they are, they are in the process of outlawing private religion. They have been doing this for some time. If you're not just now waking up to the truth that we're speaking of, it is late. It is late. You need to actually start gathering together. And that's what we need to talk about. We need to talk about how you gather together. And where you can gather together. And with whom you would want to gather together. And the fact is, there's a lot of choices in that. And you see, if you want your rights back, you must take back your choices and start making them and acting upon them and walking in the ways of your choice. Because you've made choices that have bound you. If you want to cut those bonds, you must make the choices that set you free. It is the only way to become free. And you don't do it out of anger or resentment for the system. You do it out of love for righteousness. And you do it by beginning to tend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, mercy, and faith. 
You see, you've become civil religionists. And you worship your ideas. And you even, you worship your ideas about the Bible. And even the Bible itself. And you supplant that which is righteous with that which is unrighteous. But you call it righteous. You call it good. You call evil good. And therefore you will end up calling good evil. And what we are preaching here is good. Good is to love one another. To take care of one another. Provide for one another. Through faith, hope, and charity. Not through force, fear, and violence. And we're just pointing out that that's what you've been doing. Which is not an easy message for a lot of people to receive. But it is if you will see the solution, which we will talk about when we return to Keys to the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom, and we're talking about religion, we're talking about civil religion, we're talking about pure religion, we're talking about the religion of the world and the religion of Christ. And most of the people who profess Christ today profess His name in vain because they are actually practicers of the religion of the world. They are not practicing the religion of Christ. They are not walking in the ways of Christ. They are walking contrary to the ways of Christ, yet they continue to profess Him. And they have minister after minister after minister who make them feel good about their wickedness. They are actually idolaters. And they have promoted the ways of Jezebel. That it's okay to eat that which was sacrificed to idols. And all they had to do was change the meaning of words. And they did it way back before the seminary courses that these ministers took. So some of them have been deceived. But they should be awakened now and begin to understand that this idol worship, this things sacrificed to idols, is what all these Christians are doing. And none of their churches are doing what their churches should be doing. And what we are advocating is a revolution of heart and mind where you begin to take care of the needy of your society entirely. You begin the process of working in that direction, of doing it entirely through faith, hope, and charity. And this is what Christ preached. And we go back. His Holy Church was founded 2,000 years ago. It's grandfathered in. But as I was pointing out today uh, or yesterday uh there's an opportunity to put on our own radio stations, FM micro stations that are locally uh, broadcasting in communities, which would be a great way to start to gather uh, more people within the congregations that already exist and to create more and more congregations of congregations because you could get the message out through that radio station, but you would do it through service because that radio station would be of local service to that community for three, four, five, ten miles around, depending on where you're located. 
and that that radio station would be operated by the congregations that already exist and help funded through those congregations, but they would be local community uh, radio, and they could literally serve their community in a sphere within their hearing and encourage the people to call in to contribute to the radio program. Uh, you would record a number of programs uh with the help of your local community, and then you would just play them back, music, uh, announcements, phone calls would come in, and you would announce different things. It could be everything from uh, shopping uh, and garage sale announcements to uh, uh, event announcements, uh, fundraising announcements, uh, problems in your local community, cleanup, everything. It's a service thing, you see, because you're FEMA. You're the Faith Emergency Ministry Auxiliary, and during disasters, you could be saying, you know, where the bottled water could be obtained, and and who needs help, and uh, and communicating with the people in your local community, and become information central. And by serving in that capacity, your community, you begin to spread in real ways the message of Christ. And because you become a doer of the word. But one of the stipulations for these new stations that they are allowing to come out by October, uh, or at least apply for uh, creation by October, requires that you already existed for two years. You see, so it's, uh, in order to claim that a congregation existed for two years before this application, you would have already started your congregation. Now, we might be able to get around that because of the fact that the church has existed for more than two years. <laughs> it's existed for 2,000 years. But you can see that this is, you know, the same way with health care. You know, all the churches, if they were doing what Christ said, they would all be exempt from this health care. But you're not because you haven't been doing what Christ said. You've been doing what some minister said, these these false prophets that have been teaching you the lies about Christianity. You need to repent of that. You need to start doing what you're supposed to be doing because it's putting you behind the eight ball. Because you've been sitting on your hand. You've been the slothful. You have been doing the ways of Christ. So we, we see this, uh, this word appear, uh, offered to idols. Meets offered to idols. We were to, in Acts 15.29 it says, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, which is not sexual fornication, but this membership with these systems of social welfare. That's what he's talking about here. Once you understand what was going on, they talk about this meats offered to idols, this free meat, this pork, this... this uh, uh, even sheep or beef, it doesn't matter. But this meat's offered to idols. This this was their system of social welfare. You should abstain from that if you can without starving or starving your family. And if you gather together, you could and you could actually do a better job because you won't be serving. You know, you're not going to get meat offered to idols that isn't got GMOs in it. <laughs> the beef, the pork, everything's going to have GMO grains. <laughs> <laughs> and the free bread, it's got, it's GMO, don't touch. <laughs> and, uh, but if you were to gather together, 
in congregations. You could be producing your own bread and your own meats that were clean in CSAs, community-supported agriculture. Another aspect of the congregation and the outreach that we should be doing. And from meat strangled, in other words, you're not going to be taking food from people who were strangled, were twisted, were forced to contribute, even though it's creating a hardship on them. You won't be subject to that, eating meat that was strangled or blood in it. That's what it means to eat meat with blood in it. It's, you're eating stuff that was not freely given. There was still blood in it. It's, the people still had a claim to it, but it was taken, forced from them. This is what this is all about in the Old Testament. We talk about it in Thy Kingdom Come. And, and hopefully I'll get this other book finished. From which, if ye keep yourself, ye shall do well. Fare ye well. And you're not going to do well because you haven't been keeping yourself from that. You're, you're going to, you're going to get sick. You're going to find yourself between a rock and a hard place. And God's not going to hear you because you've gone opposite of His ways. Acts 21-25, it says, as touches the Gentiles which believe we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing, save only that they keep themselves from offered uh, things offered to idols, and from the blood, and from strangled, and from fornication. Why are we including fornication in with blood and meats and stuff offered to idols? Because it's not talking about sexual fornication, although... I'm sure he wasn't in favor of sexual fornication either, but he was using that word fornication as we've talked in previous shows in reference to these agreements. What agreement do you have with unbelievers? Well, you've got lots of agreements with unbelievers. In Corinthians 8.1 we see, Now as touch things offered unto idols. Same word. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up but charity edifies. Why is he talking about charity instead of eating meat that's offered to idols? Because their system, their, created by the, their hands, was based not on charity, but upon force. That's where you're at. You're pretending to be a Christian. You're imagining you're a Christian, but you're not taking care of the social welfare, the pure religion, the duty you have to your fellow man through faith, hope, and charity. Like John the Baptist preached, like Christ preached, like Peter preached. You are a part of a system that is covetous. You are eating of things offered unto idols. You do that when you go to public school and take those benefits. And don't tell me you paid in because there's no money. Everything you paid in is gone. And if any man think he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of God. Now, if you really love God, stop coveting your neighbor's goods. 1 Corinthians 8.4 goes on to say, As concerning therefore eating those things, he's still talking about the same thing. This loving God, you, you can't be loving God and eating things offered in sacrifice unto idols. These institutions created by the hand of man. We know that an idol is nothing. It's, it's something you create. It's, it's not the thing itself. It's nothing in, in this age. It's, it's nothing in the world. 
and that there is none other God but one God. Why is he saying this? Because he knew that Augustus Caesar had claimed he was a God. He didn't. All he was claiming is he was a ruling judge. He his his position of apotheos was to appoint the judges throughout the empire that said this is what you have to give. This is these are the guys who persecuted the Christians because the Christians said no, we have another God. We have another judge, and he says we must live by faith, hope, and charity, which is why Justin the martyr was writing that to Antonius Pius, which I have no doubt that Marcus Aurelius read, having been a student of Antonius Pius and also hated Christians because they privatized religion in free associations. And free assemblies is really a better word there because they're not associations. They're assemblies. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many. This is... This is verse 4 in 1 Corinthians. Why is he talking about God's many? Go read our article on God's many. Go read that article on God's many and find out who these gods are. Go read our article on Rome versus us. Go read our article on uh, the picture in your capital dome. These are things that you need to understand and comprehend. Because they're all put together. He's talking about these gods many in relationship to things offered to idols, which are the institutions where people went to for their social welfare. And he's saying, no, you should not be going to those institutions of social welfare. You should be living by charity. Because charity edifieth. It leads you to the freedom of Christ. And under Christ. And under God. And so that you have the right to be ruled by God instead of by men. This is your only salvation if you're seeking freedom under God. That you start to do that. There is no political solution. Saul has to fall on his own sword. You cannot live by the sword. You must live by faith. And you haven't been doing that. You've been going to church deluding yourself. And that's why you're under such a strong delusion. And those of you who were fed up with church and left, I understand But the real church is a social welfare system of free will choice. It is the perfect law of liberty. It is filled with ministers of service, not ministers who want to rule over your mind and your thinking by feeding you what was fed to them in the seminary. But to us, there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in Him and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom all are all things, and we by him. He goes on in verse 7, Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge, for some with conscience of the idol unto the hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. We need to see this connection of the God's many, of things offered to idol, of living by charity. He's telling you the distinctions, but because you don't know history, you don't know the meaning of words. And because they did a little playing around, once you, I, I don't need to change the words in the Bible. I need you to change the way you think those words mean. And I show you that these words were actually systems of social welfare. 
and that religion was actually how you took care of the needy of your society. It wasn't these vain philosophies and ideologies and eschatologies that you want to repeat over and over again to get the emotional experience as if you love God when you're not doing. He says it's not those who say the magic words, but those who doeth the will of the Father and tend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. He says, but meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours, what liberty? The liberty that sets you free from the social welfare system of the Pharisees, Liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. You know, we're not restricted. We could eat of that. We shouldn't, we can't apply for it. They're excluding us. You have to remember sometimes these giveaway programs didn't involve proving who you were. They just gave them away to everybody. We, we see that, uh, when they were doing the cheese giveaways. They were just giving it away. They, they show up at a spot and anybody who came, they just gave them a block of cheese. There was no means test, which we talked about earlier. First Corinthians 8.10, next verse. And if any man see thee which hast knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the... Was Cerises, are we talking about? When they say sit at meat, they're, they can actually be talking about bread because they're talking about, you know, what was being served not the conscience of which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols it, they were saying that Christians needed to start taking care of themselves and not going and taking these benefits because the Christians were on a different way and direction and he was talking in Corinthians to Corinthians convincing them that they needed to, not to go the way of Jezebel it wasn't good to go that way it was good to go the other way. And yet Christians today say it doesn't make any difference. But Paul's saying it's making a difference. And that we shouldn't do it. And though thy knowledge shall excuse me, and through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish from whom Christ died. In other words, we set a bad example. We need to start accept, setting the example of Christ. People don't believe that you can have a free society and live by love alone. That you could bind a whole society together without covenants and contracts and constitutions. They don't believe you can do that. I believe you could do that. But I don't believe you can do that unless you repent and let the Spirit of Christ dwell in you. Otherwise, you'll be trying to save your life all the time. You won't love your neighbor as yourself. You'll love yourself more. Now, if you're going to love yourself more and not love your neighbor as yourself, you're going to need a religion and a minister who's going to come up and tell you you're saved because of what you think. You're going to need that kind of a minister. He's a false prophet, but you're going to need that. Otherwise, you're not going to feel secure. You're going to feel guilty. So you need somebody to tell you that you're saved just because of what you think. And that's what you got. And that's why you're not saved. Because you're just thinking it. You don't really mean it. Your faith is dead. Because it doesn't have works. Now, you're not saved by works. But evidence that you're not saved at all is because there's no works at all. Because your works are actually the work of the Pharisees and the work of the idolaters. 
than the work of Jezebel. But when you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. You see, by by applying to those things when you don't need to. You know, and I have a minister whose children are encouraging him to collect his Social Security because he's old enough that he and to spend it. Because they send it to you automatically when you get to a certain age. And he doesn't need it. But he want they want him to spend it on himself. Go take a trip. Go do this. He should not be doing that. If, if, if he can't get out of the system and they're forcing him to take it and he doesn't need it, he should give it away <laughs> to the needy and not spend a dime of it on himself. Otherwise, he curses his children and his grandchildren and he has many. But people don't understand any of this because they've been going to these false prophet ministers who've been collecting money for them and driving around in their jets that require $79,000 to paint and they're not actually preaching the gospel of the kingdom at all. They they look great and they can get you all charged up in their in, in emotional feelings and you, you think that... You, but it's it's zombie land. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth. While the world standeth. What world is that? Lest I make my brother to offend. Offend who? Offend Christ. Offend each other. 1 Corinthians 10.19 What say then that the idol is anything or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But if any man say unto you this is offered in sacrifice unto idols eat not for his sake that showed it and for conscience sake for the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. So anyway, this is giving you an idea of civil religion is how you take care of the needy. Uh, we could talk about Richard Horsley, uh, who talks about pervasive civil religion throughout the Empire of Rome. Uh, talks about the fact that uh, this idolatry was the antithesis of uh, the righteous Corbin of Christ. As a, it was the Corbin of the Pharisees that made the word of God to none effect, which we see in the Tyndale Bulletin uh, by Witherington III. We've talked about that earlier in the series. But just to remind you of these things, remember that cultus, cult, this idea of cult comes from cultivate. You're either cultivating the character of Christ in your heart by living by faith, hope, and charity and by pure religion, or you're not. That this word threskia it comes from a word that has to do with uh, taking care of, providing for. And that's what pure religion is, is to provide for with faith, hope, and charity. Even the word episcotomy, uh, uh, like we see with episcopal or uh, uh, episcopos, uh, overseer, it means to look after, to take care of, to see, to be present, to help. To be on hand to aid. These are the definitions of these words. Uh, this is what they were talking about. This is what the church was. It was a social welfare that did not operate like Rome. 
did not operate like Washington, D.C. or Sydney, Australia's system or whatever the capital of Australia is. I'm sorry. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, uh, these are things that we need to understand if we're going to understand the Bible. And they, they, don't, uh, they don't teach you that in the seminary. So now we come down to what about Bob? Uh, Ephesians. Bob writes, quoting Ephesians 1.13, In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed. We were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. This is a letter to the Ephesians who were doing what I'm talking about. We're taking care of the needy of their society through faith, hope, and charity because they understood the gospel of Christ. They trusted in the truth of that gospel that they could not be saved in this world or the next unless they lived by faith, hope, and charity instead of by force. When he wrote to the Corinthians, and he even actually even talked to the treasurer of Corinth, uh, Corinth uh, he writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. He's talking about the gospel of Christ, that to live by faith, hope, and charity, and not to pray to the fathers of the earth, etc., 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 to keep the commandments. Don't covet your neighbor's goods to have eternal life. He says, Unto you the gospel which I preach unto you which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. Wherein ye stand. They were standing in that system. You are not. You are standing in the temples of idols, praying there. And you need to repent. And we'll talk more about this and the Gospel of Mark and lots more when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom next time. Until then, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.